Will you pray with me? Gracious and loving God, we thank you for the gift of the season. A season of longing, a season of anticipation. And as we head into this last week of Advent, Lord, we ask that you'd be with us, Lord. And now, in these next few moments, Lord, that you would take my words and use them for your glory. We pray these things in your name. Amen. A little over six weeks ago, we held our annual Hope and Remembrance service here on All Saints Day. Uh, the, the service has shifted some over the years, but the point of the service has remained the same. Uh, we, we gather at some point, usually at the beginning of the holiday season, to recognize that, that it's not easy for everyone. That, that there's grief that we carry into the season, whether that's the start of the holiday season around Thanksgiving, whether that's going through Advent and Christmas all the way in to New Year's. Last year, the service took place a couple days after my uncle had passed away. And this year, uh, it came the day after a good friend of mine passed away unexpectedly. I'm not, I don't think that I'm the only one who has launched into a holiday season at one point or another, balancing grief and joy. Standing on the middle of a a teeter totter as one emotion rises while the other one falls and we go back and forth each day. Sometimes multiple times throughout each day. So during Advent this year, we have been journeying through Charles Wesley's carol or hymn, Come Thou Long-Expected Jesus. And, and the, the end of the first verse concludes with the line, Dear desire of every nation, joy of every longing heart. Well, well next Sunday, we're going to be talking about the second part of that last line, joy of every longing heart. But, but this morning, I want to focus just for a few moments on the line, Dear desire of every nation. I think Wesley included those words to some degree for the same reason that we have a hope and remembrance service every year, is that we all long for something more. We all want to experience joy, but if we're honest, every single person has suffered, every single person has hurt, every single person has experienced loss, and we have to do something with that. We develop a an understanding of justice and injustice at an early age, even if it's only on a micro or, or personal level, right? It doesn't take too long for toddlers to learn those three important words. That's not fair. That's not fair. A line that becomes well-loved again ten years later as they become a teenager. My sister is three years older than I am, and uh, this was a line that was often shared in our house. And whenever we would go back and forth and compare how mom or dad was being uh, fair to one other and, and not to the person complaining, uh, my mom would respond with say, and say, oh, she does get to stay up later than you do. It's because I love her more. <laughs> or, yes, he, he does get to watch TV because I love him more. Of course She was joking, and I might do the same things with my kids today. Um, But behind that feeling of, of being wronged, even if it's something small, is a longing for things to be made right. A longing for things to be put back together. But what happens when that doesn't happen? 
What, what happens when injustice wins or seems like it wins? And we're left alone with, with questions. We're left alone with our pain. Most of us probably associate Psalm 22, at least the beginning of Psalm 22, that Pastor Daryl read earlier with, with Good Friday. They're the words that Jesus shares as he hangs on the cross. They're the, the last words that he says. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We think of them around Holy Week and Good Friday. We don't think around the, about them typically in Advent, leaning toward Christmas. But this line is it's one of the most relatable lines, at least for me, in the entire Bible. Of course, we haven't been in the exact same place that, that Jesus was that day, but we've all felt alone. We've all felt scared. We've all felt abandoned at one point or another. So when you're in that place, what runs through your head? What, what are the words that you think of? What do you actually shout or pray or cry out? Now, the Psalms were Jesus' prayer book, and uh, he would have heard David's words in Psalm 22 recited in services and would have committed them to memory at home. At the very least, Jesus recalling these words as he hung on the, the cross reminds us of the importance of committing Scripture to memory ourselves. To have something to lean on in times of despair. Now my guess is he wasn't just familiar with the first two verses of that psalm. He probably knew the rest at well, so at least some version of it. Kind of like in our world, in our setting today, most of us can at least recite part of Psalm 23 from heart, right? The Lord is my, I shall not. Or, I shall not want this, depending on what, what you're reading. In the 22nd Psalm, David starts with acknowledging the depth of loneliness and the depth of disappointment a person can feel when it seems like God just doesn't show up. It starts there, but it doesn't end there. It turns hopeful using phrases like, I am poured out like water. My heart has turned to wax. Villains are circling around me like dogs. But you, O Lord, are not far from me. You, O Lord, are my strength. It doesn't stop with, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It turns to hope. And then at the the very end, there's this picture of victory. Remembering what God had done in the past and what God will surely do again. David turns to joy. Psalm 22, it moves from despair to hope to joy, all within a few verses. It captures quite a bit of the human experience, and Jesus would have known that. So while going through the most difficult part of his earthly life, he pulls from what was familiar. It was a cry of frustration and a cry that was seeking out comfort in his despair. Our second passage this morning comes from the words his mom sung right before Jesus was born. Many of us know these words as well. And Mary's song follows closely to the pattern that's set in Psalm 22. After Mary's life is disrupted and kind of turned upside down by a visiting angel coming to tell her that she's pregnant, 
She runs to her older cousin. She runs to her older cousin to share the news and, and probably to ask for some advice. What should I do? Elizabeth opens the door. The baby in Elizabeth's womb leaps. And Mary sings. My soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months and then returned home. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Nine years ago, I experienced one of the darkest years of my life, and I've shared some about uh, that year here in the past. I, I lost a, a cousin who was more like a brother to me growing up. I lost him to, to suicide. And then months later, his, his mom, my aunt, one of my biggest cheerleaders in my, my journey through seminary, also passed away suddenly. At the time... I would, I would cope with the pain, I would cope with the hurt by, by getting on my bike and riding for miles and miles, often screaming out as I rode. I'm sure that was pretty funny for people driving along the road to see a guy in spandex screaming into the air. But it was how I coped. I'd pedal out my anger, my disappointment, my hurt. And then one day, I, I wasn't comfortable sitting on the bike. The pain led to doctor's visits and led to physical therapy and a hiatus from the only outlet I had at the time. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I don't think it's an exaggeration to say it's a time of my life when I felt the most despair. And hearing at that moment, hey, just cling to the source of everlasting joy was the last thing I wanted to hear. It was the last thing that I wanted to hear in church. Now, each of our stories looks a little different, but I think it's safe to say that we've all had those moments, at least in some form or another. At some point during that year of despair, I was, I was walking along this beach with, uh, with my daughter, Ella. And I began to feel again. It's the beach where my cousin Rich taught me to surf. It's the beach where my family spent countless hours uh, having summer bonfires. It's the, the beach where we spread his ashes. It's the beach where we spread his mom's ashes. It's the beach where uh, I proposed to Haley, actually right behind that pier. Um, it's the beach where she grew up as well. And I carried that tension one night. I remember walking along that beach, stepping away from a family gathering and, and, and carrying, I can't remember if it was Thomas or Ella at this point, but carrying one of my kids on my shoulder as they fell asleep. Feelings of, of anger and forsakenness. I was overcome by them. And in the midst of those feelings, I also felt this 
intense sense of gratitude. And, and I remember how how does this happen? How can we feel this despair and gratitude, even joy, all at the same time? Mary's Magnificat begins with a, an explanation of joy. But her journey to be a mother, it didn't start that way. It started with fear. Her life was turned completely upside down. And what does the angel say? Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. She was engaged to Joseph, which was the first step a young girl would take to go through the the three-part courting process in her culture. It started with a dad or an uncle um, going to a friend, going to a family friend who had a son, maybe a neighbor, maybe someone from, from synagogue and playing matchmaker. And after engagement, there was betrothal, which we might think of kind of an act of dating. The couple wouldn't live together, but they would spend time getting to know each other and getting to know each other's families. This is where Mary and Joseph likely were in their relationship when the angel appears. They were engaged. They were getting to know one another's families. And then after a year or so of betrothal, marriage would come. And the couple would start their own family. Mary finds joy, but I'd suggest that she finds it eventually. Not right away. She was terrified. She was alone. And there's a few lessons we can learn from what she cries out on Elizabeth and Zachariah's doorstep. First, it's the reality that praising God, it changes us. It changes us. Mary shifts her focus from her own problems, from her own challenges, for what her pregnancy meant for her and her family to God's goodness and God's plan. Even if she didn't fully grasp God's plan at the time. It's not that she swept the challenges under the rug, that she just ignored them and all that was coming on the horizon. But she saw them, eventually, within a bigger picture. A picture where God is faithful, where God is sovereign. When I was in middle school, uh, there was a phase where auto-stereograms seemed to be all the rage. Anybody know what an auto-stereogram is? Oh man, I should have had one up on the screen. An auto-stereogram, I bet when I describe it, you can picture it. Uh, An auto-stereogram is a picture with a bunch of seemingly random dots or, or a pattern of shapes. And if you stare at it long enough, a 2D image, a 3D image arrives. You know what I'm talking about now? One of those things, things you learn at church, that's called an auto-stereogram. I don't know what I remember from church, but I know what an auto-stereogram is now. So my friends and I, we would sneak them into class and, 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 and we, we would look at them and, and see who could see the image and who couldn't. Sometimes, sometimes seeing God's goodness and God's faithfulness feels like the strain that we have when we stare at those images, looking to see something. We're straining our eyes, looking through a bunch of noise to see what God is doing. 
Mary teaches us that when we magnify the Lord, our, our focus changes. We begin to move from that feeling of despair to a, a bigger picture of joy. And that shift reminds us that God is always at work. And not just in the grand scheme of things. Not just in the big picture. Although that's true. But also in our own lives. So Mary, she cries out, The mighty one who has done great things for me, holy is his name. She's able to see beyond the difficulty of her situation to see that God is at work in her and through her. It's a great reminder that our ultimate source of joy is not contingent on the absence of challenge in our lives, but on the presence of the God who is always at work redeeming and restoring difficult circumstances and difficult situations. A couple of months ago, when I was visiting my niece at Baylor University in Waco, we, we spent some time at the Magnolia Silos. Anyone know what the Magnolia Silos are? Any Chip and Joanna Gaines fans? I don't watch too much home improvement TV, but uh, that day I felt like Chip and I were best friends. I walked around just looking at everything that, that had been taken, you know, wherever he found it and restored into these magnificent works of art. Those two have figured out how to redeem and restore just about anything to make it beautiful and then to sell it at a premium price. But the image I'd invite us to hold to here, as we think of the mighty God that Mary cried out to, is one of the master craftsmen taking something broken, taking something imperfect, and not just fixing it, but making it beautiful. When we hold to the picture of a God who never grows tired of working in and through our lives, our despair is transformed. And we begin to experience the joy God intends for us to experience. And we can hold to that picture because of who God is, because of who God has always been, because of God's character. Mary reminds us that, that God's character, His mercy, His faithfulness, and His steadfast love, it is who God has always been. She didn't need a reminder of the struggles that were on the horizon. She, she didn't need to be reminded that things were going to be difficult. She, she knew that. She didn't need to be reminded of how she was going to be seen in her community, of the questions that Joseph would inevitably ask, of the pain that she would experience. She didn't need to be reminded of those things. What she needed in that moment is the same thing that we need when we face despair. A reminder that God is good and that God is for her. The God who delivered people, her people in the past and gave her hope would continue to do so in the present. So if you're here this morning and facing some sort of trial or difficulty, and I'm sure we all are and in some degree, um, remember that God is good. That God is for you. That God has shown up in the past. And that God will continue to show up. It's who God is. So we can trust in God's character. As Mary's song progresses and concludes, she moves from her own situation to the, the bigger picture, the grand narrative of it all.
The God who's at work in her life was the God who brings down rulers and the God who lifts up the humble, who fills the stomach of the hungry and sends away the rich unfulfilled. The God who is as faithful today as he has ever been. Mary's words invite us to consider the ultimate victory of God's kingdom, to consider that in light of the despairing realities of this world. We're never promised that life is going to be easy, that things will always go our way, and that we'll always understand what God is up to. But if we can embrace an internal reality, we can find strength to endure whatever it is that we we're facing now. We can cling to the glimpses of God's kingdom breaking into our broken world now and today. They happen all the time. And we can rest on the promise of what's to come. So as we head into this final week of Advent, may we find joy as we embrace the bigger picture. Praising God as He changes us. Remembering that God is always at work restoring and redeeming because it's in his character. It's who God is. Let's pray. God of hope, God of peace, God of joy, be with us this week, especially with those of us who are going through trials and difficulty. Help us to remember that we are loved, that we're not alone, that you are with us. We pray these things in your name. Amen.